Our text this morning comes from Exodus chapter 3. We are continuing on in our sermon series on God's rescue of Israel from Egypt. I invite you uh, to listen now for the word of the Lord to you this morning. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy God, we are here seeking a word only you can give. A word that might free us, a word that might offer mercy that we are just unable to give to ourselves. Speak to us like you spoke to your servant Moses. Make this ground holy. We pray all of this in the name of your son Jesus, the word made flesh. Amen. I wonder if you have ever felt called to do something that you felt just utterly unprepared to do. Maybe it was uh, a new job with new responsibilities, with new pressure that you've never had before. Maybe it was uh, being a parent. Maybe it was a new school. Maybe a new degree program. Maybe it was switching careers entirely. Maybe it was that you felt called to use your voice, to use your platform so that you could help someone else in need. 
About five years ago, I've just been reflecting on this, I had my first interview with members of the APNC. For those of you who don't understand our polity, that's Presbyterian for people who had the power to hire me. Um, somehow over the course of a few uh, months, I convinced them, and I think probably myself in the process, that I was, I was totally ready to be a pastor. The rest is history now. Graciously, you called me five years ago about uh, to be an associate pastor here. Here's, here's what you don't know. The time leading up to the day that I was to begin, you, you, you don't have to be nervous, this is fine, <laughs> was filled with uh, graduation from seminary, it was filled with a little vacation, uh, it was a move across the country from New Jersey to, to Texas, and in the frenzy of all that, I, I had not thought too much about the details, uh, until that is the night before I was to uh, show up uh, in the office. And it dawned on me that night that though I had been trained uh, to think theologically, to offer pastoral care, to preach, to teach, to pray, uh, I had absolutely no idea what a pastor did on their first day in the office. Or really like any day after that. So I did what anyone in my shoes would have done. I Googled it. Which only actually made me feel worse, uh, because if Google is anything, like Google is fundamentally a place of reassurance, right? That the thing that we are troubled by has at least troubled one other person and they've started a forum on Reddit about it. Like the time that I spilled gasoline in my car, it was nice to know other people were living through that. Um, and if you've ever done that, I or if, you, if you've never done that, like there's no hope. There's no hope for your car to recover after that. But unfortunately, I discovered that, that no one else had struggled with this question. What does a pastor do on the first day in the office? At least enough to provide any resource on the internet uh, for someone like me. So the next day in the office, and pretty much every day after that, uh, I've just tried my best to look like I know what I'm doing. The term for this, psychologists uh, tell us, is imposter syndrome. Yeah, you laugh, you laugh. The gnawing suspicion that, that we're a fraud, that we, we don't belong, that uh, you know, everyone else around us actually does in fact know we have no idea that what we're doing. As a result of imposter syndrome, we often shield ourselves off from others or maybe police our behavior so as like to be noticed as little as possible out of fear of being found out. This is particularly pronounced in leaders of various types, whether they're in politics or in uh, corporations or in religious institutions, but I don't think it's just for leaders. I, I would venture to say that, that imposter syndrome is a part of each of our stories at some point in our lives. I mean, I, I don't know any parent who, upon holding their child for the first time in their arms, thinks to themselves, like, I know exactly what to do here and I am extremely qualified to do it. Moses struggled, I think, with his own version of this, his own version of imposter syndrome. I mean, he's never fit anywhere he's been. He was born to parents that couldn't keep him. He was raised a Hebrew, son to a, an Egyptian princess. 
After finding out that he didn't belong to either of those groups, he leaves. He names his son, a name that is translated, we just learn, I have been an alien residing in a strange land. And Moses feels, feels this, feels it deeply, I think. And his initial response to God in the story that we've just read is to question his ability to serve in this role, to be up to this task. It's going to be, this is the first of eight objections that he makes to God. And he asks God, and I think himself at the same time, who, who am I? And maybe Moses is thinking that he doesn't want to go back to Egypt, to that place he never fit in the first place. Maybe he is simply thinking that he's carved out a nice life for himself here in Midian. He's got a job and a family. He doesn't want to go back. Maybe he's afraid. Maybe he's afraid of the Pharaoh. There's good consensus that the Pharaoh at this time was a Pharaoh known as Ozymandias, a powerful Pharaoh, a cruel Pharaoh who ruled with control and fear, captured in Shelley's famous poem, right? Look at my works, ye mighty and despair. Maybe Moses is afraid. I have to think though, I think it's entirely possible that Moses is thinking about his own moral failure too. How could God call someone who has done what he has done? What right does he have to go and demand justice for anyone? Imposter syndrome thrives on a world without mercy. It thrives on a world without mercy. The reason many of us feel like imposters is that we feel that we don't, we don't believe actually that there will be mercy when we fail. The best defense against this, of course, is to just be perfect, right? Or at least to pretend to be perfect. But it's actually not perfection that we're seeking. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness for the mistakes that we've made and forgiveness for the mistakes we know we will make in the future. God is ultimately unwilling to accept Moses' self-description of himself. He's unwilling to accept his view of himself. The theological word for this is grace. It's grace. And the sign that God gives Moses of this grace is the promise of his ongoing presence. He says, I will be with you. What about you? How, do you? how do you respond when you feel God is calling you to do something that you don't feel ready to do? Maybe what you're thinking as you read this is that I've never experienced anything like this. This all seems a bit too extraordinary for anything I've experienced God calling me to do. During my first year at seminary, Many of my classmates would share their very impressive and extraordinary stories with me about how God called them into ministry. Many of them had really experienced moments like this. And perhaps some of you have had very similar experiences where God has clearly told you to do something. In 1959, there was a woman who was working for the American Baptist Convention. And she wrote a letter to a popular minister in her denomination asking him to recall his calling to ministry. 
the reason that, that she was reaching out to him was that she had been interacting a lot with young people in the denomination and she had discovered that many of them felt that unless they saw a burning bush or unless they experienced the blinding light on the road to Damascus, that they hadn't felt called. And the minister responded by saying of his own story, it came neither by some miraculous vision nor by some blinding light experience on the road of life. Moreover, it did not come as a sudden realization. Rather, it was a response to an inner urge that gradually came upon me. This urge expressed itself in a desire to serve God and humanity and the feeling that my talent and my commitment could best be expressed through the ministry. The name of that minister was Martin Luther King Jr who we remember and celebrate this weekend as a person who, much like Moses, was called upon to confront an unjust system of power so that other people might be free. And it all started with a simple desire to serve God and to serve others. The point is this. God doesn't always use extraordinary experiences to call you and me. Sometimes, but not always. And I think actually maybe the reason the burning bush is such a powerful symbol is not because of how extraordinary it is, but how ordinary it is. Notice that God speaks to Moses from within the bush. From within the bush. A bush that Moses must have walked by a thousand times while shepherding his flock that God chooses to speak from within the bush, I think, shows us how God often uses very, very simple, very ordinary things to make himself known to us, things that we would recognize on a day-to-day -day basis. And if God can speak to Moses in a bush, God can speak to Martin Luther King Jr. through a desire to serve. He can speak to you through a friend. He could speak to you through a book. He could speak to you through a piece of art, or through a tweet, for that matter. And if it really is God speaking to you, we would do well to listen. None of this means, of course, that your imposter syndrome will go away. But the promise God makes to Moses to be with him is reaffirmed by Christ. And it's Christ's ongoing presence through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables all of us to act in the presence of uncertainty, with the midst of doubt, and in the face of any potential failure that we might experience. There's a story that I love about King, about a night before a march in Chicago where he gathered the leaders of this protest. And in a moment of, I think, Real vulnerability said to them, I wonder what people would think if they understood that we didn't quite know what we are doing. And the next morning, they went out and they marched anyway. They marched anyway. I know, I know because I've talked to many of you, that you don't feel up to the task, to whatever God has called you to do, especially in what feels like very strange times. But neither did Moses or Abraham. 
Neither did Esther or Ruth. Neither did Mary. Neither did Paul or Martin Luther King Jr. for that matter. Neither do I. I'm thankfully not Googling my job anymore. For the most part. But I don't always feel up to the task either. My friends, we are all imposters at some basic level. The good news, the good news is that is always, that is always who God has used. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.